Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I hope that was a baby crying during offering and not an adult, because that would really frighten me. If that's the reaction offering got. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I, after that comment, I may not work here long. Uh, but it's my pleasure to be a part of this church. Uh, and we are going to be completing, as Beth mentioned a little bit earlier, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it all summer. That wasn't intentional. We have been in this series called The Gospel, and it's just taken us the summer to process this particular teaching where we are in the story of Jesus as we study the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John together. Uh, we want you to know here at Christ Church, our, our vision, our goal as a congregation is to prepare God's people to discover completeness in Jesus. Now, you can see a mission statement, and a mission statement's a mission statement. But what we really want you to understand is the reason we invite you to be a part of this and are so pleased that you do choose to make this your church home, but we want you to understand that what we're doing together is not just Sundays or Wednesday nights. It's actually to help you and me together find completeness in Jesus, to experience all that that means. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. There's no better place to be to discover what it means to be in Jesus than that particular sermon of his that encapsulates his vision for the kingdom life. We began with the the beginning of this message. Jesus invites those who are never invited, the people that are down and out, the people who can't catch a break. They're the ones that Jesus came and said, I'm going to invite you too, and you're going to receive this because you have no, no other options in life, and you'll see the value of this. And those that are rich and famous and popular will blow me off, if I can paraphrase, because they already have their self-sufficiency. They can get themselves whatever they want. They don't need this. So he said, I'm going to invite the mournful and the broken and the persecuted, and they're going to come to the banquet, and they're going to feast. And he talked about what it is to have a right relationship that surpasses religiosity, He said, you look at the scribes and the Pharisees and you think they're the upper echelon of following me. He said, but they don't follow me with their hearts. They only have activities in their life that make them appear to be holy. And he talked to us, what happens when life smacks you across the face? When you have an enemy, when there's contempt in your life, when someone's lied or when you have lustful thoughts, how do you live out the kingdom when life comes into your world and changes things? Then he talked about how do we have a relationship with God that's not just transactional, I do this and God loves me. I do this and God hates me. He said, no, no, when you pray and when you give and when you fast, it's not this relationship where you earn God's love. Jesus is telling us we already have God's love. Now we learn how to be a part of him and how to, if you pardon the expression, dance with him and be a part of the movements of God wherever we go. Then last week we talked. It's very important we remember where we were last week because it takes us into today where he said, judge not lest you be judged. Don't write people off. Don't dismiss someone as unsavable or evil and and gone, too far gone. Love them and serve them and and discern and verify and measure. Be, Be wise, but don't be dismissive. You see, if we listen to what Jesus is saying, you and I are gonna find that there are limited options for life. As hard as that is to hear, Jesus does limit options. But by doing so, he gives us clear direction. And so let's talk about four things that Jesus gives us choices for. In fact, he ends this sermon by identifying four choices we get to make in life. And this isn't isn't for the unbeliever. 
These are four decisions that you and I need to make every day of our lives as followers. So let's walk through them. Number one, we must carefully choose our opportunities. There will be opportunities for us to introduce the kingdom into people's lives. And Jesus is telling us, be very careful how you accept and turn down these opportunities. Let's read verse 6 through 12. Do not, give dogs to, do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now before we proceed with a brief explanation of this particular passage, be very careful that you don't picture. Sometimes when I read this, I picture, okay, Jesus is at the end of this long sermon and he's got a bunch of more things to say, but the clock's telling him time's about up. And so he's got to rush. And so he's like, hey, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, peace. And he's not doing that. These are actually combined in their intention. So he begins with this drastic thing. Remember, he just told us not to judge. And then he turns around and he calls people pigs and dogs. Did he just switch the whole tone of his message? Most of you know, the minute I asked you that question, you're like, no, he wouldn't do that, would he? So don't interpret the pigs and dogs the way most people interpret it. Most common, you can find this in commentaries too. One of the common uh, discoveries in this is to simply say that what Jesus was saying is, don't waste your time on evil people. They're pigs and dogs. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? I don't think so. I don't think if Jesus came for sinners like you and me, then who are the dogs and pigs? He's actually referencing what the Jews, what the religious people of the day would have called the Gentiles, dogs and pigs. And so Jesus is saying, if you are going to judge them, and you think that they're not open to this, and remember he cautioned us from doing that, he said, but be careful though that you don't throw sacred things to them until they're ready. Okay, outside of the, the absolutely humorous picture of a pig wearing pearls, why would you give pearls to pigs? Why would you give something valuable to a pig? Now, here's what's interesting. I know I'm about to cross the line. I make cat jokes and I receive emails that tell me I'm Satan and I get it. I love dogs. But for many of us, let's understand what he's doing with a pig and a dog. A pig and a dog will eat anything. Are you with me? Now, some of you are like, oh, no, not my fluffy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't feed that dog for three days and he'll be in your garbage can. Can I have an amen? You can make your dog a prince or princess and you can treat it like it's a human being. I understand that. But the only reason your dog is being finicky about what he eats is because you're letting him. A dog is a dog is a dog. That's why you have to bind up your trash can and you have to put things away from your dog because a dog is, does not have discerning flavors. I know, I'm going to get email. My dog will only eat this because you've spoiled it rotten. <laughs> you've changed its nature. Don't feed it for two days and you're going to become dinner. <laughs> Farmers tell me, that if pigs don't get enough food, the farmer becomes an option. See what Jesus just did? 
If you give someone something they can't find value in, are they going to thank you? It's like when I was six or seven and grandma, every year, I found out why, but my grandma would get me underwear for Christmas. What six-year-old wants underwear? I don't care if it had a superhero on it. I didn't want it. That shouldn't come at my Christmas present. Mom and dad should buy that for me as a necessity, but not at my expense. Then I went to college and I said to my grandma, she said, what do you want? And I said, I want 31 pair of underwear. (laughs) Some of you already know where I'm going. And she's like, 31, why? And I said, I'd only have to do laundry once a month. And for Christmas, that lady blessed me. When I was seven, I didn't see the value of it. When I was older, I was like, oh, mercy, I would love that. She just said, don't give sacred things to people who aren't yet ready to receive it. Are you with me? And then you say, but what's the rest of this? And all of a sudden seek and you shall find and knock and the door will be open. And, and if you're evil and would give kids your good things, and, and what's he doing here? Listen to what he's saying. If you're not going to judge them, then you ought to love them and you ought to value them. And to value them is not to give them things they can't use. A pig can't eat a pearl. A dog can't wear pearls. You can't give these things to them because it doesn't serve their purpose. So what you do is you love them in their context and you ask God, oh, that's where the prayer piece comes in. If you ask God for the ability, if you ask God for the timing, if you ask God for the blessing, you can actually see someone understand the gospel. Because instead of us forcing it on them, instead of us walking up to a stranger or standing on a corner and screaming at cars, Instead of us doing that, if we just loved them the way Jesus loved us and we asked God to open the door, he said, if you can give good things to your kids and you struggle with evil things, how much more so will not God give you what you ask for if you open yourself to it? You see, this may be too bold, but I think I'm understanding more and more that the problem most people have with the gospel is not the gospel. It's the way people give it to them. We become the issue. Because we want them, we back them in a corner with arguments or snarkiness, and all of a sudden we pin them against, and what about this, and what about this, and what about this, and we expect them to go, I know I love Jesus, come on. None of us would respectfully respond to that. So what we need to do is to love and to show mercy and grace just like Jesus would. You see, we all have something to offer, every single one of us. We have a pearl. He refers to the gospel as being a pearl of great price. We have that thing of value. It just becomes a matter of why and how we're offering it. See, an understanding of the gospel is meant to bless people's lives, not win an argument. So to the great extent that Jesus is talking about here, he's saying, pray. Ask God to allow you the courage. And here's the courage. The courage is, first of all, for most of us to to take the opportunities we have. So for most of us, the issue is not we're blowing our opportunities. It's we're not even taking them. To take the opportunity, and second of all, to take it in a patient, kind, merciful way. So we have to choose our opportunities. Second thing he seems to be leading us toward is that we must carefully choose our path. And this is where I'm going to be more controversial. The first two are heavy. Because you're going to go, I don't know. You know every, I found it my way, and they ought to find it their way. And the second one will make you even more angry. Look at verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. 
For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and few are those who find it. What's the criticism of Christianity in the United States today? You think you have the market on truth. How dare you? How arrogant? How bold? How racist? How this? How that? Well, listen, once again, if we're the reason the gospel is not being heard, we need to repent. But understand this, that we, there are choices we have to make, and there are not many as choices as we'd like. And this is what fascinates me. Jesus said these words. There is a narrow gate. Why is it narrow? Why does it have to be narrow, God? Why can't it be broad? Why can't everybody just naturally flow that way? Why can't everybody just be saved because of your love and mercy? And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. The gate is narrow. And why is it narrow? And it dawns on me that it may be. I'm not saying it is, but it may be this. The reason the gate is narrow is because every one of us has to walk through it one by one. God doesn't save groups. He doesn't save denominations. He doesn't save the, num- save the number of people in a particular building on a Sunday morning at a particular service. He's not going to ask you what church you went to. He's not going to ask you how many times you went to church. The, the gate's narrow because you have to go through it one by one. Every one of us has to make a legitimate life based on faith. You see, the truth of the matter is, in Deuteronomy 30, we shouldn't be surprised that God has a particular way that it has to be done. This day I call heaven, this is Moses' words, he said, this day I call heaven and earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Limited choices that give clear direction. Moses said, listen, there's not a bunch of options. This world is not run by a democracy. God doesn't want us to get together and decide the way we want to do it. He simply said, this is the way it has to be done. Jeremiah 21.8. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. When you read that, how many options do you have? Two. Not 17, 18, 19, or 20. There's only two gates. There's only two paths. There's only two destinies. And we say, well, I don't like it. You don't have to like it for it to be true. But here's what I want you to understand. This is not a petulant God who's seven years old who decided to have a ball game. And he brought his ball. And then the teams were divided. And he didn't like the way the teams were divided. And all of a sudden, the team that he wasn't on began to win. So like every seven-year-old, he simply grabs his ball and does what? I'm going home. I don't like the way this is going. And for some of us, we could consider that what God is is a petulant seven-year-old who didn't get his way. We rebelled. And so he's saying, I'm going to, you can't finish the game because it's my ball. And you may see it that way. I'm going to tell you, if you see it that way, you don't know who God is. Because God's not saying, no, no. What he's saying is, I gave you the ball and you lost it. You threw it away. You traded it for garbage. I gave you this opportunity to be in something so grand that it couldn't, we couldn't lose. And you didn't, you didn't end it. You, you just ruined it. And I'm, I'm going to come in and show you how to get there. You need me to carry the ball. The reason I'm holding the ball, God would say, is because you keep fumbling it. And I never meant for you to carry it. When you took it from me and started your own thing, that was going to be devastating. So Jesus came and he took it from you and he's saying, follow me. I'm the only way you win. Does that make sense? 
So instead of writing God off as this God who's like, ah, you didn't do it my way, he's going, oh no, I had to send Jesus so you'd kill him to show you that the only way for you to undo what you did was for Jesus to do what he did. That's why it's narrow. And the world will still make fun and the world will point and say, I want nothing to do with the God who doesn't give people the same amount of options, but he does. You see, Jesus is the small gate. He's the only way into the kingdom. John 10, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He's either a liar or he's telling us the choice we must make. So what about other world religions? Jesus has a solution for other world religions too. It's part of our opportunities. He's not written them off. We write them off. We have a message that is not so harsh that all world religions can't understand the peace and truth of Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why do we struggle so much with this? Why is this so hard for us? Why is the world constantly saying Christianity is narrow-minded, it's bigoted, and it thinks it's always right? Because we get in the way of presenting who Jesus truly is. You see, the big gate, there's a narrow gate and there's a big gate. There's a wide path and there's a narrow path. There's a hard path and there's an easy path. The Bible talks about these options all through the scriptures. We shouldn't be shocked by this. And it's not because God is punishing us. It's because to undo what we did, Jesus had to do what he did. Psalm 3, Jonah 2 says, salvation is of the Lord. It's not our idea. We can't take the ball from God and create a new game that ends up in victory. We can only do what he's asked us to do. But see, part of the problem, if we can be honest with each other this morning, is the reason we struggle with only one way to heaven is because it doesn't allow us to keep our pride, it doesn't allow us to keep our possession, and it doesn't allow us to keep our preferences. It makes us rely 100% on Jesus. So he says, be careful to choose the opportunities I give you and to choose the path I've given you. Thirdly, we must be careful to choose our guide. He says, be careful who's leading you. Be careful what you're opening your minds and hearts to. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 16 is important. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20 is important too. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, now remember, if you pop these verses out of the context in which Jesus used them, you can get them to say anything. But when he's talking about false teachers, listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Yikes. Dogs and pigs and evildoers and burning bushes. And Is he having a bad day? No, what he's saying to you is this. You must take responsibility for your own spiritual completeness. 
You can't do it on your own, but you have to become responsible, as I do. The purpose of Christ Church is to help people find completeness in Jesus, not to do it for them, but to help them. And he's saying, be careful of the teachers you follow. And that some are going to cry out and they're going to say, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I went to church and I gave money and I did this and I did this. And Jesus is going to say, you're only talking about what you did, not what you became. I never knew you. You can do things in the name of Jesus and not love Jesus at all. It's not uncommon for me to sit with couples that are going through a separation or a divorce and they'll both just berate each other with all the things they're doing, but they're not doing what their partner desired for them. They weren't giving their heart to their partner. They were simply paying the bills, watching the kids and doing the things that need to be done. And Jesus is telling us, be careful. I never knew you. You didn't love me. You didn't let me love you. You said, give me a second chance and I'll prove to you, Jesus, I'm worth it. And Jesus is like, I can give you 98 chances. You can't prove anything. You were worth it before you started trying. Church, you with me? The grace and mercy of Christ is presented here. He's not asking you to go put on a show, but he said, follow or be careful who you follow. Be careful who you let influence you because if they're not holding on to the things that matter, you can be doing a lot of things in Jesus' name and never know Jesus Christ yourself. You and I must own the responsibility of our guide. So what do you look for? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in a church that was struggling with teachers that were teaching things that were not of Jesus, and notice it's not big things, it's subtle things. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Deeds. There's nothing wrong with doing good things. Unless the reason you're doing good things is like the Pharisees. So the world thinks you're doing good things. Instead of doing the things that Jesus asked you to do, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then you don't stand up and go, look what I did. You simply go, no, I did what was done for me. I forgave as I was forgiven, and I love as I was loved, and I serve as I was served. See, we're we're warned about doctrine. You have to be real careful of who you're listening to, even me. You, you, can't, you can't just simply hand your soul over to another human being. In community, we sharpen one another. Be careful about how your teachers speak about the Word of God. I, 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 every fiber of my body wants to go off on this, and I don't have time. I'm going to tell you right now, when you allow a teacher to dismiss sections of Scripture because it's not politically correct in our world today or it won't meet popular opinion, be very, very careful who you follow. All of the word of God is inspired or none of it is. You get to choose what you believe. And so there are passages of scriptures that make me uncomfortable. There are passages of scriptures that make me unpopular. There are passages of scriptures that I would have written differently. Are you with me? But at the end of the day, do I believe that God still knows what he's doing throughout all time? And if a teacher will not defend and uphold the complete word of God, you should not put yourself under their teaching. You should be very, very careful of what you open to. And look, can that person sit under the authority of Christ or do they always have to be the authority? Be very careful. Men and women, 
professional and lay leaders. You and I must own our own soul and present it to Christ, to the word of God, to the Holy Spirit, and test every teacher. Test, push back, ask questions. Michael and I don't stand on this stage, and we're the predominant speakers of this particular group of believers. We don't stand on this stage like we know everything. We correct each other all the time, going, well, you said that, and it, it kind of leaned that way. Is that where you were going? And I'd be like, no, no, I, was, I got sloppy, I got in a hurry, and I, I didn't finish that thought, and I wish I had. We have to hold ourselves accountable to this. Jesus said, be careful how you choose your opportunities, be careful the path you're on, and be careful the teachers you place yourself under. Fourth, we must carefully choose our foundation. And this is the part of the passage, interestingly enough, that most people will know of the Sermon on the Mount and the way he ended it. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams arose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's how he ended the sermon. You want to talk about the mic drop of all mic drops? They didn't listen, they died. Boom, and he walked off. I was taught you don't do that. I guess if you're God, you do what you want. And this is how he ended his sermon. Matthew recorded. All he basically said was this, but it can be misunderstood. Listen to what he said. You see, when we studied the Sermon on the Mount this summer, I seriously doubt, I may be wrong, but I seriously doubt, what, maybe 2% of the audience heard this and went, ridiculous. I think that most people hear Jesus' teaching and, and deep down inside they go, man, that might work. That actually would be a better way of doing it. I've tried it the other way, but his way actually sounds like it actually might soften hearts and lead to love and hope. So when we hear Jesus teach it, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, those who hear my words and agree are building on the foundation. He doesn't say that. He says, those who hear my words and put it into practice, to put it into practice, to do it, to try it, to experience it, to take the risk, to have courage, to choose and those who hear my words. And he doesn't say disagree. He said, those who hear my words and don't put it into practice, when life hits them hard and they've never truly experienced the faithfulness of God, they've never had God hold them up in a tempting time or hold them up in a time of struggle, then when, when life takes a whack at them, they just get blown away. But those who daily choose the opportunities, the path, the guide, and the foundation. When life hits you and the storms will come, he doesn't say if, he says when. When the storm comes, you'll be able to stand. Why? Because you've experienced in everyday life how faithful God is and you can trust him even when life is hard. Wise and foolish. We're going to do something different this morning. We do it periodically, but this one's going to make you uncomfortable and I want to warn you. Listen, I, if I put myself in your seat, let me tell you about your preacher. If someone stands and says, hey, we're going to have a group activity, my first reaction is, no, we're not. <laughs> so I totally get some of you that are sitting there right now going, uh, and I ain't doing anything. Okay, fair enough. You and I have problems. But I want to challenge you to try something today. And I don't do this for any other reason, but the moment in this room and the testimony of these people, what I'm going to ask you is this. 
I'm going to ask you to think about the choices Jesus has, has made for us. And for some of us today, it's going to be our personal choice. And I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable and nobody may stand. I don't care. I'm supposed to do this. If we're going to talk about the wise and the foolish who here agree and practice or don't, I need to do this. If you're sitting here today and you realize that for whatever reasons, good, bad, and some of them are really solid, you've had a reason to restrain yourself from following the gospel, from believing it's for you, for feeling like, I I don't know that I can do this, Mark. No, you can't. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't. You'll be the worst follower Jesus has ever had. And he's like, come. So take it off of you and put it on him. Today you realize you need to make some choices differently. You might even want help from those around you. You may shock your wife or your son or your daughter or your husband or whoever in this room by standing. If you feel today like, I need to stand before my God. He says, knock and he will answer. To seek and I will find and to ask and it will be given. I, I don't make great choices. I don't even know where to start. But you're sitting here today and all you're saying is, God, I need your help to want to choose the things you've laid before my heart. You've heard his words. You want to figure out how to put them in practice. If that's you today, no strings attached, I promise you, we're not beating on your door this afternoon. Do you want us to pray for you? I'd ask you to stand wherever you are in the room. If choices is about you, And if your heart is hurting right now for someone, not you, someone in your life who needs to know that the choices we've given them don't have to be as harsh as we've presented them, but they need to know by the grace and mercy that led you to Christ, if you want to stand for somebody who needs to know how beautiful the choices were given, they're narrow, but they're the right ones to choose. If you want to stand on behalf of someone that you will ask God to give you the opportunity to present the gospel this week or this month or this year, that you'll ask for the courage and the strength to risk being rejected for the sake of inviting someone into this story of God's mercy. If you feel the burden on your heart to stand and pray and seek out someone with these choices, would you stand wherever you are? Let's pray. Father, this is a prayer by standing. Not a word needs mentioned. You know our hearts. God, I pray for the celebration that we're going to have when you do what you do. When those that are standing right now scared may even be wishing in all honesty that they just stayed seated. Because there's this overwhelming sense of obligation. God, remove that. You're going to provide the timing. You told us to knock and you would answer, to seek and we will find, and and to request and you will give. God, we believe that. For those who stood for themselves, may a conversation take place to receive all that you want us to have, to turn off the noise of the world and to seek with our own souls who you are. And for those that are standing on behalf of others, God, may you place our lives at a proper intersection and your perfect timing with those who simply need to know there are very few real choices in life, but oh my goodness, how important they are and how eternal they are. 
May we never present you, Jesus, as a bludgeon. May we never beat and hurt anybody with the truth of your love. But instead, may we offer them the freedom, the grace, and the mercy that you show us. We belong to you. And we ask you to give us the courage and open our eyes and hearts to what you would have from us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.